Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we will be inspired by action. From a spark to a flame, our guest has carved a meaningful path through life with passion and purpose. How many times has your great idea been snuffed out with self-doubt? If you could go back and relive those moments, would you have taken the leap, risked failure, and been able to recover, re-engineer, and relaunch? How many of you are sitting there today with an idea and a purpose, but waiting for the signal that you should act? If any of that sounds familiar, keep listening. I want you to meet Matt. Well, hi, everybody. I am so excited to have a VIP guest with me today. Um, Someone that is very special to me, the Matt behind many, many of my stories, my husband, Mr. Matt Martino. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm so excited to have Matt. You know, I was going to do more inspiring interviews this year. It's kind of a goal for me to bring more people on encouragementology because there are so many people that I've encountered in my life that just have amazing stories, just unique ways of giving, um, tenacious stories about perseverance and just overcoming different challenges in their life. And Matt is doing some amazing things. Um, Not only is he an amazing musician, but he's a business owner. He's very involved in restoration of old buildings and old properties. And he recently started a charity and uh, had a live event, a live album, and just released an album. So there's so much building up to what he's going to talk about today and just how he got here in his life. It's pretty incredible. But I told him ahead of time, I want to go all the way back. I want to tell you guys how he started in music because I think it's pretty special um, how he picked music, the risks that he took in his life. So let's go back to that and let's just get started with your musical career before we enter in all the rest of the things you're doing. Let's go back. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think I was any different than most kids. Um, I was, I was young and and took a few lessons. Uh, I played piano a little bit and I played sax a little bit, but they just didn't stick. Uh, it's it's tough when you're a kid. You don't want to sit down and practice piano when your buddies are outside or or doing fun stuff. So it it it's tough for for kids to get into music. I think some some of them it they take to it really quickly, but. But it didn't take for me. I, I had very little interest in music, and even through high school. It was it was after that, and I think I think what it had attracted me to music at that point was just that, even though I knew nothing about it, and certainly nothing about the industry or how to how to develop a, a career in music in some way, I just knew that it made me feel things, and so that was an intriguing approach to music to me. Theory to dig into why. Music has the ability to make us feel things that it that it does. To say that I was uneducated about what I could potentially do with it doesn't even really begin. Like I didn't, I wasn't even really listening to music that much yet. I had <clears throat> just a few CDs. Uh, I was just really interested. There was something kind of pulling me to it. 
I didn't know anything about the industry or about recording. Uh, and I, at that point, I had, I had no interest in it, really. I, I, in fact, I remember saying at one point that I would never get into recording at all because it's a whole different career. You know, I, like, I couldn't possibly invest myself into another career to the degree necessary to be good at it. I just want to play music and be good at music. And now here we are conducting an interview in my own studio. Yeah. <laughs> and I think what's really interesting is what you don't see behind the scenes is just the risk that Matt takes. Like if you meet Matt, you wouldn't immediately say like, oh, he's super outspoken. He is an extrovert. He just is going to, you know how you meet some people and you just think they're going to be at the front of the line and they're just going to, they're huge risk takers. But he's kind of that quiet storm, you know, that he's... The quiet storm. That was my nickname in high school, yeah. actually. <laughs> but, you know, funny thing is, he said he only did a little piano growing up and then it did a little bit of sax, but he actually performed at his high school graduation. Oh, now, wow. who does that if you don't, you know, you're just <clears throat> getting started and then you do a performance. So I just mentioned that because you're super risk-taking and I think it takes that. Like, you can study all you want, but if you're not ready to, you know, take a chance and go out there and do something. So you're in school and you start a band. Yeah. I wasn't confident in any aspect. I just knew I wanted to start playing. And it started with me. I was playing sax at the time. That was probably my primary instrument. And then piano came a little bit later. Uh, <clears throat> but I would sit in with other bands around town. And um, I, I, I don't know. I guess I, I kind of had an ear for it. Uh, uh, so that some of the basics came to me quickly, and then it then it developed more slowly after that. But I got good enough relatively quickly to at least play, to at least get out and play. And uh, so I played in a lot of bands in college, and then that uh, that sort of laid the path. Um, I got uh, interested in it enough that when college was over when it was time to start making choices about what the future was going to entail, uh, I knew that that was going to kind of lead the way. And so I went from Carbondale to Chicago and lived up there for a few years, <clears throat> which was a really rough time. But <clears throat> as, a, as a musician, it was exactly what I needed because I don't know what it's like now, but at the time, this would have been the, the 2000s, um, at the time, there were bars everywhere. If you just wanted to play, you could play every night of the week. And, uh, and I, I did, uh, I took every gig I could get, uh, with my band and then other opportunities when they came up and just played constantly. And it was absolutely what I needed because I was so far behind. I, I hadn't, I hadn't gotten into music with the interest that, or with the passion that you hear about, uh, with some of these, really good musicians that say, oh, I, you know, I picked up a guitar when I was four and I never put it down. I'm like, well, I, I was way behind and I, I really needed to play. And so I got some experience there doing that. And then after that, it was Nashville for 10 years. And But before that, I'm going to stop him because he was schlepping this stuff all over the city of Chicago. And, you know, some people, you can imagine the guy with the guitar slung across his back. He's traveling. That looks pretty easy. When you have like an 80-pound piano 
that <laughs> that you are, you know, throwing around at 2 a.m. in the morning. That's not an easy thing to do. So he's doing that. He's also working to make actual money and <laughs> the why getting up at three o'clock in the morning. But at some point you rupture your Achilles heel. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> so let's see. I was at the Y. I was playing basketball and, and ruptured my Achilles. I didn't have any insurance at the time, so it was a pretty bleak scenario all the way around. Um, and all the gigs stopped because I couldn't. I could once I was in my cast after the surgery. Uh, I could drive at least. It was my left foot, so I could still drive. It was there was a little bit of panic at the time, not only because it was my primary income source, but because suddenly some real life decisions were looking at me right in the face. Like, what are you going to do here? It was a three month recovery period estimated. So I didn't know what life was going to look like exactly when I was done, but I still wanted to play. And so I started getting on the Metro and riding it downtown. And I'd play sax, uh, in downtown Chicago during the days. And it was, uh, and that was really good for me, too. It On was... the streets. This is going to get your license. I've seen it. Well, Street performer's license yeah. that he had. I mean, how amazing is that to, you know, you could have been, uh, you know, hit a, a challenge like that and said, that's it. All right. This is this is a sign. I need to pack it in, head home, you know, let my parents take care of me while I get back <laughs> on my feet, literally. But no, you go and get another license and you're playing on the streets of Chicago. I just think what, that's just something of uh, just a tenacious nature that people look up to. So I think that's pretty special. Well, that's very kind. There, there were some realities to it also, though, and I wouldn't have been able to put words to it then. But the reality is I didn't have any skills. I, there was nothing I could do. I, I had committed myself to playing music and there I was. So... I didn't have a whole lot of choices in front of me. I, I, there were some really nice days actually down there. And then I'd, I'd sit there and play for six or seven hours every day. And, and I needed that too. Yeah, good practice. It was good practice. Yeah. So you got back on your feet. You yeah. got re, uh, healed. And now you make a decision to kind of break out on your own. You know, going from a band to yeah. a solo performance and moved to Nashville. How did that happen? It wasn't a career. You could, once I stopped and stepped away from it a little bit and looked, like <clears throat> it became clear, I'm, I'm not really building a career here. I'm just sort of hustling and and going nowhere. I knew I wanted to write. I had a lot of songs written at the time. And there was no real industry presence in Chicago. I had done a little bit of studio work at a couple small studios, but it was just little, uh, totally independent uh, projects and and I wanted to see if I could get involved in the industry and I felt like at that point I, I had enough of a uh, enough experience to try and so I I moved to Nashville and uh, settled in there and and it felt right at first uh, uh, it was ten years in Nashville and and it felt like home for a long time. That's um, you know such a leap too you know so many people think about it or dream about doing something like that going to Nashville making it big you know whatever that means but how did that you know kind of leaping out on your own you were already writing but you were part of a band so the band essentially broke up and you went out solo how did that really shape your career what did you learn from Nashville and your time there oh let's see I learned an awful lot 
it was it was really interesting. It was a um, it's a totally different city now. So let's see. I got there in two thousand four. And I was there until 2014. Eventually, some of my buddies followed me down, and and I kind of ended up with a little clique there of Dan Hageman and Dennis Feltner came down too, and <clears throat> so it it became a it became a pretty fun place. Uh, I ended up putting out an album in 2007, and it it was right at the end when everything was changing, and uh, it did not sell well, mostly because I was not uh, up to speed on. Well, mostly because sales were eroding <laughs> because of the internet. Nobody was buying CDs anymore. There were other ways to get music, and most of those were free. Uh, but it it was it was reviewed very kindly. I did get a lot of very kind praise for it, and uh, so that led to a few things that were just lucky breaks. Really, I um, I got. Uh, I was included on the Grammy ballot in 2008 in six categories. And at the time, for an independent artist, that was a little unique. Now it, it's it's not uncommon at all. But but it was a big deal for me. I hadn't had any success at that point. So that that was a little bit of industry attention. And, and I got featured in Music Row magazine. I got a really kind review. And that's sort of an industry publication. And they were very kind. And and then that led to some TV placements, and that's when I things really started to change for me. So it, it felt real. Like suddenly I was playing more. There was a little bit of demand. Crowds started to grow a little bit. So, you know, around 2008, uh, 2009, it looked like, oh, I'm, I might have a shot here. You might be breaking loose, breaking out. Yeah, maybe. Um, it fizzled. <laughs> Uh, was that 2008 and a half or <laughs> by by 2000 yeah by 2010 uh and 11 I knew it, it was <laughs> I was on the way out <laughs> whatever 15 minutes I'd had was long past so what happens then I mean you you're not unlike so many artists and I guess that's one of those learning lessons like you can be wildly talented and go into a place where you think like, oh, there's so many people here to hear me and not be able to be heard, you know, not be able to get to make, make the right connections, to get the right interviews. And so you can have somebody that's got so much talent and, and has already done so much, just not get noticed. Yeah, I guess so. I, I wasn't bitter, really. I mean, it was maddeningly frustrating, but it, I wasn't bitter about it. The the industry was really no less or more than its reputation suggests that it is. Everyone told me before I went to Nashville, oh, it's cutthroat and ruthless and it'll chew you up and spit you out and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, that's that's all pretty accurate. Like it's you're a product. And if you have a product that is of some value or interest to consumers, then you'll have some demand. And if you don't, then they don't really have any use for you. This is a good time to take a break and we'll come back and listen to what happens next in Matt's journey. But we're going to be listening to a track from his new album, Wherever You Are, the concert for the orphans of Homa Bay County, Kenya, available on anywhere you stream your music. This is time to point this ship towards home. Matt Martino.
another long night, another small crowd. They made me turn down, they said I was playing too loud. When every hotel room starts looking the same, think it might be time for a change. I used to tell stories and they'd put drinks in my hand. Gather around like I was an important man But these days I just sit alone, sip my wine Might be time to move on down the line There's no end to this road And there's no light on the horizon I ain't got a dollar in my pocket, babe That ain't so surprising I'll have one more drink before I say goodnight And I think I point this ship towards home I can hear a voice in the back of my head It's been talking to me since I've been on my own But I've never heard it quite so clear as I do now But these words, they cut right through me the place is calling to me There's no end to this road And there's no light on the horizon I ain't got no calls in the phone, babe But that ain't so surprising I'll have one more drink before I say goodnight And I think that it's time to point this ship towards home going to have to learn a skill that was of some value to somebody somewhere <laughs> and so I have I was lucky enough with uh, some of the TV placements and uh, the music placements that I'd gotten that I it was my first real 
break in in anything. I, I had some money for the first time in my life and it was kind of terrifying really because I knew I needed to be smart with it. Um, I didn't know when my next break was going to come if it ever came and I had no idea what to do. I knew I needed to invest and and protect it and grow it if possible and I had no idea where to start. So and so I thought, well, I'm I'm gonna figure this out. I'm gonna get to the bottom of it. So I went back to school and uh, studied finance. So a uh, musician, creative side of the brain, goes to school for finance, the other side of the brain. <laughs> so uh, great backup plan, though. So yeah. you you graduate from that. You're certified. Now you're a financial advisor and a musician, still in Nashville. So what do you do? Nashville's changing rapidly Yeah, it at was, the same time. Yeah, it was really starting to change. Uh, I knew I wanted to be an investment advisor, and I thought, well, I'll go work for big ones. And uh, I interviewed at several places, and they all had some traits in common that just didn't sit well with me and for, for, for ethical reasons, to be honest. And uh, I really felt like I could improve upon that business model. And so I started my own company, uh, Porter Avenue Capital Management. Ten years ago. Yep. So what do you do when you get a little bit of success? You invest and you open up your own business. So I think another big risky move, you know, instead of going with what we think is a proven plan, somebody out there, more franchise model, you leap out again on your own and you go uh, kind of go rogue with it. And it's been successful. And now you own um, a 10-year-old uh, investment advising company. So at this time, you're not in Nashville anymore, right? What happens? No. Because we didn't meet in Nashville, so no. <laughs> I know you're not there anymore. No. Around, that, around the time that I finished school, uh, it was absolutely time for a change there. Uh, and so I moved home. I came back home. I packed up everything. It all went into storage. Uh, I was ready to do some other stuff. I was happy to put it away. So the last recording I did uh, in Nashville was in 2011. And that was in my own studio with all my gear. And I was packing it up as I was finishing that song. I did a single, The Show Must Go On. It was, it was an overwhelming relief to say, no, I'm, I'm going to do some other things for a while. Because, you know, it, it was hard. But I, I love music. But, God, I love lots of stuff, you know. I, I didn't... There's, there's these romantic ideas especially when you're young and you think I'm going to be a musician and that's a romantic idea and I'm going to travel and there's all these songs about life on the road and you know uh, rough hotels and and it's you know it's real like I I can tell you about it but but there's more to life you know like it, it's it doesn't have to be that way there's this there's this feeling that we're all supposed to suffer for our art. And if we don't, then it's, it, it's illegitimate in some way. And that's just false. That's just not, that's not accurate. And I wouldn't have been able to verbalize that or articulate it at the time. But that's, that's what I was feeling, like, like it was this pressure uh, that through the years that 
all this suffering is going to be justified because it'll it'll make for a better story. Like no, that's that's not the way life needs to be. That's not that's not best. They don't all have to be sad songs. No, no. <laughs> there's there's so many things. There's so many things to do. So I came home and yeah, I I needed to be around family. It was time. I was home for Thanksgiving and saw this old building for sale in my hometown, 120 years old, an old brick historic building, dilapidated and run down. And I thought, I I think I'm going to buy that. <laughs> and I took dad over there and we looked at it and it was rough. It was really rough. Um, and he said, whatever you do, don't, don't buy it. And I, I said, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> And it's it's been an unbelievably. Uh, it was it was a it was a great decision. I I learned so much there. I've been working on it now for nine years, and uh, I I absolutely love it. Well, more than one. So you started with one. Oh, yeah. Now we have four, and it is all about you know again just a, an interesting way to reinvent yourself. You know, you started not knowing what you wanted to do. You picked music because there was a little bit of interest. You went headstrong into it. Then you switched to finance, owned your own business. Now you buy these old buildings. And, and this is a little town, folks, a little town of about 450 people in Illinois, Southern Illinois. And uh, on this old main street, now you've got four different buildings on this main street and you are rehabbing them. And we're not talking sheetrock and some paint and carpet. We're talking about taking these guys down to nothing, tuck pointing bricks, making it safe and secure and just an amazing art artwork, really, and a, and a fabulous place to stay. Yeah, these are these are buildings we've got four now and they're all over 100 years old and each one has suffered 80 plus years of neglect and little patchwork band-aid fixes to problems uh, band-aids on band-aids that that all had to be peeled away in order to in order to fix it and you know it's it's certainly not I wouldn't recommend it to anybody who's looking for a profitable investment in real estate but there's something way more valuable and I think I I sensed that on some level even though I wouldn't have been able to explain it dad is a real I don't know what the word is he's a handy guy he he's he's incredibly skilled he can look at difficult machines and and difficult uh, architectural ideas and just understand it and recreate it and fix things and He's a he's also really at peace too, and I I could see there's there was a correlation there that that I I wanted I think I I wanted that building, but I think on some level I knew I needed something else that I thought that building could provide and it was responsibility I really needed I needed some responsibility and I don't I don't mean like uh, get up in the morning and when your alarm goes off and make it to work on time like that's that's basic responsibility I don't know I think uh, I think the key to to that piece is is finding meaning and I think you find meaning in responsibility <clears throat> and and that's proven true for me with these buildings it's there were certainly 
faster, cheaper, and uh, what people might argue is more logical or certainly more profitable approaches to restoring these buildings, but that's just not what I was interested in at all. Uh, and I don't know if I, I can accurately explain what I was interested in, but I wanted to make something that was going to last another hundred years. Uh, I wanted to make something that was better than when I found it. Uh, and I'm, I'm proud of them. They, they look yeah, really nice. Yeah, they look amazing. We are going to take our second musical break and listen to another track from the new Wherever You Are album, the concert for the orphans of Homa Bay County, Kenya. This is Matt Martino, The Melody. This is called The Melody. Thank you. 
comes down to love, yeah The rest is just headlights on the highway Dust in the wind And I think you've got a shot to light a fire before you go There's a melody playing It's too faint to hear But as long as it plays There's a chance That it might become Something grander A beautiful tune Safe travels, my friend I'll be seeing you soon Once I started to gain a more balanced life with a few other goals and and start to, I don't know, live a healthier life, it made it easy to start appreciating music again for all the reasons that got me excited about it in the first place. It was, it was easy to remember why I, I liked it and why I liked writing and playing it. I could appreciate it as a fan again. But there was still <clears throat> no reason to make it. I didn't want to do it, I didn't want to make anymore or, or even try if it was just going to make life harder. I had other goals that, that I was really happy with that I didn't want to derail. So Ivan gets a hold of me. So something happens. So here we're, we're morphing into almost a fourth phase of what you're doing with your life. And you get a request from someone across the world out of nowhere and... You don't answer it multiple times, and then all of a sudden, you take it seriously. So tell us, set it up for us. Yeah, let's see. So I got, I can't remember which came first, the, an email, I guess. I got an email through my website from a guy named Ivan Onyongo Undigo, who was uh, a young man from Western Kenya, who was a pastor at a tiny church there and ran a local orphanage with his father. And this email looked like every spam email we've all gotten from some mysterious African prince who just needs our bank account number in order <laughs> to send us the reward we've won. And so I deleted it. And I got one again, and I deleted it. And I don't know how many I got, but I ignored them. And so he messaged me on Facebook a few times, and finally I just answered. You know, he would always say, hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? And finally I said, I'm fine, how are you? <laughs> and now we speak nearly every day. Uh, he never asked for money, but there were little hints. And I thought, oh, okay, I, I can, I can kind of see where this is going. And, but, months, and, but I was very, very cautious. I mean, months went by. And finally, he, he, he didn't outright ask, but just said, we're, you know, we're in, in dire need here. Uh, and I said, oh, Ivan, I, I can't give you any money. I'm sorry. I can't, you know, like, 
it was too it was just unfathomable for me at the time to think like this is some it's not, it wasn't quite a person yet it wasn't quite real like it was just somebody on facebook messenger that looked like it was on the other side of the world asking me for money i said ah, i can't do it i can't do that i'm sorry and i figured that'd be it then but next day hi how are you um i'm fine how are you <laughs> so i finally brought it up i said okay what what's going on tell, tell me about the orphans uh and that's that's really when it changed he started to send pictures and videos of the kids he would we would get on FaceTime and he'd walk me around the village and show me where he lived. I met his dad, I met his wife, Christine, I met his daughter, Sishia, uh, his dad, Elias, I met his brothers, uh, I met a lot of the kids. Uh, we started to have a, a FaceTime call maybe once a week, sometimes twice a week. He met, he met you and he yep. met, uh, uh, he met mom and dad and suddenly there was a real bond starting to form. And so, so I said, all right, well, we'll, let's see what happens. So we sent him some money, just a tiny amount. uh, And I just wanted to see what he did with it because it was was still hard to get over. Uh, 10 bucks, sent him 10 bucks. And I said, we'll just send you 10 bucks a week. Uh, And that's the best I can do. I'm, I'm really sorry. And I thought, well, you know, if this is a scam, then <laughs> then he's worked an awful lot for ten bucks. But he got that ten dollars and sent pictures of all the food he bought and a picture of the receipt, and he had a tiny little bit of change. And, and then he sent a video of him passing it out to all the kids. He bought four loaves of bread and a bunch of tea, uh, and so all the orphans had tea and bread for breakfast and they were unbelievably thankful for that and that's when I was hooked yeah and then you you took that idea to the church that we belong to and they wanted to get involved and I think the excitement came from just what you're saying we know Ivan we met him we get to talk with him we immediately see results It's not like giving to a charity and then, you know, it's obscure and it goes somewhere out there and you never really get to see it. But this Christmas, we actually did a little angel tree for, you know, a little amount of money. We could buy them new clothes so you could adopt a child and buy new clothes. And literally the moment we sent the money, it was two days later and we have videos of them opening up their new clothes and putting on their new clothes. So that's pretty amazing. But you found out it wasn't just the little things. They had some really big challenges. Yeah, it's been uh, <laughs> it's been a learning experience for me. And I was I was I really went into it with my eyes open. But there's just so many things you can't prepare for. So I'm still learning. You know, we're just trying to get clean water. We're trying to get a sustainable food source. We're trying to get um, living conditions so that they can pass all the social services regulations. And, you know, without having boots on the ground, it's been difficult to make it upfront, make it legal, make it um, advantageous for giving. You started a charity. So Hope Fire started, correct? That's correct. So... Uh, we started supporting the orphanage and then we got the church involved and they started supporting the orphanage. 
and then we got the idea for the concert. Uh, and so the idea was I had always wanted to do a live album and, uh, that went way back to Nashville. I wanted to do it and I just couldn't put it together logistically. Um, and then I had wanted to do it in years since, but there was just no real reason to do it, but this was a really good reason to do it. So we started planning a concert that we would record and release as a live album. And the plan was to give all the proceeds from ticket sales to the orphanage and then release the album and all proceeds from uh, streaming and, and downloads from the album we would be an on theoretically would be an ongoing income stream for the orphanage. So we announced that planned it and announced it and things immediately got a little bit bigger and it became clear that we would have to uh, legitimize things uh, a bit more than, than just, you know, what we, what we had been able to do so far. So yeah, we created hope fire in uh the summer last summer and uh and that's it that's the organization that's overseeing the the orphanage and and supporting them since so yep and that's at the hopefire.org yep you can go check that out you can see pictures of ivan you can see a lot of the work that we're doing and you know the idea is a spark to a flame and you know the idea that you can not only have we given ivan these ideas, you know, coming up with this entrepreneurial idea of bottling water, you know, regardless of how long it would take to get there, he's starting to think that way. But so not only have we inspired the orphanage to think differently, but getting involved in this mission has been really um, productive for the people getting involved because they've felt this immediate inspiration, right? They give money. They see what happens immediately. They've adopted this family. So we came up with the tagline, from a spark to a flame, because it just takes that spark in any situation to and, and getting other people to buy into that spark to just create this inferno or this flame. Yeah. So you had the concert. Um, you invited buddies in from Chicago, from Nashville, from local people here that have, have have big careers as well. And everybody gets together and we have a concert. It was hugely successful. Now you got all of this recording and... It's released. It's released. <laughs> it's out there. And on any platform that you listen to music, you can track me down, Matt Martino, uh, and find this album... Uh, all the proceeds from this album go to support the orphanage, but uh, all the proceeds from any of my previous recordings, and I've got several others out there from years past, all proceeds go to Hope Fire. Uh, and then Hope Fire is, is a very, I don't know what the term is, very lean, very grassroots. No, none of us takes a salary. This is just about getting the work done. We're going to take one more musical break, listen to another tune from the new album, Wherever You Are. You can find that on anywhere you stream your music. This is called I Know I Will See You Again, live performance by Matt Martino.
miles they melt away one by one always just a few more miles to go think about the choice you made and the path you take and now it's all you know the time away is always hard think about all the things I miss always knew what I would have to do I never thought it would feel like this I know it's hard for you too But let me tell you one thing that's true Every time I go, just know That I won't be gone for long You don't have to wonder or worry Or hurry back home Every time I say Goodbye doesn't mean that it's late. It doesn't mean that it's over. Well, I know I will see you again. I hear you talking about the life you live and how you wouldn't change a thing. But when the darkness falls and the walls close in, I can hear the tears fall like rain. Storm clouds are rolling, we won't run. We're just gonna stand in eye and raise a glass to the best that's yet to come. Every time I go, just know that I won't be gone for long. You don't have to wonder, hurry, hurry back home. Every time I say goodbye, doesn't mean that it's the end. choice to make and a tough road to travel full of dust and gravel oh but i won't stop now it's my turn to roll and if you trust me then we'll win i can change the world baby but i can't change who i am
much. I'm Matt Martino. That's actually, I wanted to mention that too. I think it's important. Like We're dealing with little kids over there that have had some of the most traumatic experiences in their life that you can, you can conjure up, that you can even imagine. Uh, and so we've got to get them some food. They need some food. We've got to get them some water. And then after that, uh, we're in a position that from the other side of the world, what's the best thing we can do? Like we, it's the whole, the whole, the whole mindset has been, we don't want to, we don't want to just subsidize uh, a a population or a group. We want to help them figure out how to rise up out of their existing conditions. How, How, what can they do to start making the life that they want? How do we, Give them some of the power, and that's that's a lot to say. That's a lot to aspire to for a bunch of little kids. These are little kids that have gone through horrible things, but I think, and this applies really all all across the board. We can set an example, if nothing else. Like we can get them a little food, we can get them a little water. It's not enough, but we can set an example that there's people out there that will help, and there are things you can do. And Ivan's doing that too. Uh, he's, he's mentioned that too, that even just his connection to us has changed his position and his family's position in the village. They're, they're treated differently. And that's because they see him as an example of things that you can do to help people around you. You know, it's, it's the same that, uh, that I've learned so much working on these old buildings. Uh, there was something that I was after that I was looking for that I thought I might be able to find in the, in, in this type of work. And that's because of the example that I'd seen growing up. Why on earth would I have any interest in a degree in automotive technology at all? Uh, it's because I'd seen it. I'd seen an example of what you can do when you when you when you take advantage of the power that you have available to you, the things that we're capable of. I'd seen my dad uh, develop skills that that made him a. Uh, that that served him very well in his life. He's he's a guy that that can fix anything, and I wanted to aspire to that example. And so similarly, we'll help we'll help as much as we can. We'll we'll figure out how to get them some regular food uh, that they need. We're we're gonna get this well done and and get them some clean water. But we're gonna set an example of of how to help how to do good with no strings attached uh, 
That's it. And just love on him. I the name of the album, the name of the concert was Wherever You Are. And, you know, we wrote Matt actually wrote kind of an intro to the website, which was, you know, here's what we're gonna do. This is what we aspire to do for this group. But if nothing works, if we don't get there, at least they will know that people across the world care. Yeah. And are trying to do whatever they can do to get where they are and give them what they need. And I think that's just something that we can take in our everyday life and try to meet people where they are, give them what they need in that moment and set an example. Exactly what you're saying. Set an example. So the music's out. There's more to come. You can get involved. Be a spark to a flame. You can get involved at thehopefire.org. You can find Matt Martino on anywhere you stream music. You can also go to mattmartino.com to the website to get access to the music. We hope that you'll listen to it and pass it on and just become that inspiration for others. Matt, we're so thankful that you took the time to tell us your story. What's next? Oh my gosh, I don't know. More of the same. Hopefully, uh, I'm, a, I'm a happy guy these days. I, I'm, I'm really lucky. My day-to-day is, is really wonderful. Um, uh, I have the investment advisory firm that keeps me busy in the mornings, and uh, I, can, I can use one skill set that I enjoy there, and then I put on my dirty clothes, and I go work at the, at the buildings, and I get to work with my hands, and I work with my dad, and and that's a different skill set that I'm still developing, but I, I really enjoy. And then on a lucky day, I, I can go play music in the evening or come back and write and record. And if, if it wasn't for this nagging wife, I, <laughs> I'd, be a, I'd be a really happy guy. <laughs> Thank you so much. We can't wait to see what happens with this album and just the growth that's going to happen in Kenya and with Ivan and the kids. Yeah, more to come. All right. Let's go have dinner. Okay. <laughs> we can we can sit down to dinner and mourn the loss of any credibility you've gained by having your husband on your <laughs> podcast. Deal. share encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery you can visit encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others follow us on facebook and instagram for additional encouragement throughout the week so i challenge you recognize the spark in yourself and others add the fuel of action by taking a leap of faith Success and failure are subjective when one idea inspires a new direction. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone's through until the path